You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Scottish Football Forums podcast. I'm Good John and this is a triple guest special previewing Scotland's crucial Euro 2020 playoff final in Serbia on Thursday. For part one, I am joined by a man who commentated on Scotland games regularly from 2004 to 2010. It's uh, BBC commentator Paul Mitchell. Paul, welcome along. How are you? Thanks, John. I'm very well. Thanks for asking me along. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to have you to have you on. Um, you obviously, um, as we said there, commentated in Scotland games for a good few years as your main role um, with the BBC at that point. Um, just summarise the type of memories that you had um, commentating those games. I mean, it was fantastic. I mean, when you, I mean, I started, I've never been employed by the BBC. I've always been freelance. So I got the opportunity to take over when Rob McLean went to Satanta um, and I was given the opportunity to do so. And it was terrific. You know, just the opportunity to, to know that you're going to do big Scotland games, you know, across Europe. Sadly, in the three campaigns I covered, uh, we never qualified for any of them. We should have done, but that's another story. Because uh, it would have been, you know, a big honour to go and do a, a World Cup finals, um, you know, as the, the country's commentator. But it wasn't to be. But I've got lots of happy memories of my time uh, covering Scotland, you know, under, you know, George Burley, Alex McLeish, Walter Smith, Bertie Volks. So they, they were all a little bit different. Uh, Craig Levine's uh, first game in charge was my last game uh, before I got replaced. So I, I never got a chance to travel uh, with Scotland under Craig Levine, which I would have liked to have done. Yeah, but you, you get some good memories in there. I mean, the one that jumps out straight away, France home and away. Um, that must mean something else, being able to be the voice of those two games for the BBC. Oh, I mean, it was terrific. I mean, Gary Caldwell's goal gets overlooked compared to James McFadden's goal. Uh, James McFadden's goal was just one of those wonderful moments. I still maintain if you're a Frenchman, the goalkeeper's going with his wrong hand to try and save it. As a Scotsman, I couldn't care less. Um, and it, it was a magical night. It was a night um, that I'll never forget for so many reasons, uh, because I nearly didn't actually cover the game because, uh, you know, at the part of the France where we were, I'd gone up and down to our commentary point uh, quite a few times because we were there about two hours before the game. Nipped downstairs for the traditional, you know, pre-match visit to the Lou. Uh, you know, cause it can be a long time up there. And when I came back, the security guard wouldn't let me back up because he suddenly decided my credentials weren't correct. Um, we nearly came to blows, as you might understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I got taken away by uh, a very eagle-eyed radio producer who escorted me away before it became trouble. And I actually had to go out of the stand, go along, come in a different entrance and climb my way across seats to get back to the broadcast position. Gee whiz, um, that's, a, that's a story that happened just as well. You got back in your seat to be able to tell the tale. Um, you, obviously, uh, you mentioned there's been missed, failed campaigns. Um, we didn't qualify for any of the three that you managed to commentate on. Uh, that Italy game is probably the one that stands out the most. Um, such a heartbreaking night. It was. And, and you, you have that sort of small nation status where you think you're being picked on by, by the referees. And, you know, I don't know how much to put, you know, do you want Italy in the World Cup or do you want Scotland? I mean, it's it's, a, it's an utter no-brainer as far as people are concerned. So you are going to get, you know, the conspiracy theorists like that. Big teams tend to get the big decisions. That's just the way it is. We see that in all levels of sport. 
I was perhaps slightly surprised, you know, because certainly at home you might have thought we might have got, you know, a little rub of the green, but we didn't. But if you if you look at other times, you could go through the campaign and point to bigger issues when we should have won and didn't. Um, and I, th- I think we've just got to be realistic about that. Yeah, I think people forget that there were decisions in that game that actually did go Scotland's favour. Like, Italy had a perfectly good goal disallowed, Barry Ferguson was offside. So, um, to me, I look more back at the James McFadden missed than the, the free kick that was given against us because if McFadden scores, we're qualifying. Um, but that's just sadly the way it is. Um, so you've mentioned that, um, you mentioned to me, um, that your interest in the national team sort of wanes. What's the reason for that? Well, what you've got to remember is, I mean, my first ever international commentary, I was given a radio commentary of Scotland against the Faroe Islands, which came a a little bit out of the blue. Uh, And I don't think David Begg, who was doing them at the time, expected that either. It was part of a doubleheader and David was doing the second game. But I was given a chance and, you know, I think I took my chance. Then when Rob moved on, um, as I say, you know, after, after a little bit of debate, I managed to get the main job with the BBC. I was then so ensconced in Scotland for six years. Now, I don't know how much of this you'll be able to see, but I'm about to lift it up to, to let you see it. This is my Scotland folder. You know, these are all the international games I covered. Um, I keep, you know, team lines, my own notes, etc. from all of these. I was heavily invested in, in Scotland. And all of a sudden, you know, in 2010, shortly after doing the Dundee United Ross County Cup final, uh, BBC decided to make a change in their, their football programming, which is their right. Um, and that basically put me on the outside of doing Scotland. And I think once you've been so heavily involved in something for so long and suddenly you're not doing it, you know, I mean, I, I would look at the groups as they were drawn thinking, well, hopefully be going there, be going there, I'll be doing that game. There's, there's no prize for being the number two national commentator, as Clive Tilsley pointed out earlier on this year. You know, there are there are no second prizes. Uh, so it's a disappointment. As I say, BBC had every right to do what they did, and that's their call. Um, I didn't feel I'd done anything wrong. I thought it was as good a commentator. In fact, I thought it was actually the best I was actually commentating at the time. But again, that's their issue. So... It, it kind of took the gloss off it. I, I wasn't really then interested in South Africa 2010. Um, perhaps it was those stupid Venezuelas that put me off watching it as well. Yeah. Um, and then it just became hard to get into. I keep telling people, and some people don't understand this, John, there are two types of games. There are games I do and there are games that I don't do. For any game that I get given, it doesn't matter the sport, it doesn't matter the level, I will prepare to the nth degree and execute it. For other than games... You know, it's a choice whether I watch it or not. And it's wall-to-wall television. I've got other interests, you know, American football I love, baseball I love. And sometimes, you know, especially when Scotland were not playing particularly well, it was a bit of a hard watch. I just kind of fell out of of love with them slightly. Um, And it takes something to then rekindle that passion. And, you know, and I think you you saw that Alec McCreese tried to come back and make something happen. Couldn't make it happen, unfortunately. You know, that horrible your time we had in Kazakhstan. Um, Steve Clark's come in. Now, I like Steve Clark. I think he's a really good manager. I think he's got a great background. So I thought there was a little bit of hope. And and both my boys are, are very interested in it. Um, and as they've started to watch it and get more into it, I've started to watch more of it as well. I mean, let's be honest, you, the love of your national team never leaves you. Um, and you just want to see them do well. But, you know, when I was, when my youngest is 18, when I was his age, we just qualified for World Cups and European Championships and things. I mean, it, we never really thought that we weren't going to be there. 
you know, it never came into your head that we wouldn't qualify. Um, so, so that then, knowing that you're not there or thereabouts, also puts you off slightly because, you know, you're going to watch a World Cup, which I, I genuinely enjoy, love a World Cup, but Scotland aren't going to be there. They've not got much of a chance of being there. Um, so it kind of mutes the, the, desire, the desire slightly. Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, you obviously mentioned that the the fact that the commentary was taken away from you was a big impact. But um, do you think your interest might have been better had Scotland been more better to watch, as you say, and had the results been better? Because obviously, we've, since you've stopped, we've still not been able to qualify. Yeah, so I'd like to think it wasn't my fault in the six years that we didn't qualify. <laughs> so that's always good. Uh, no, I think... The other thing, I mean, you, you can look at the explosion of social media. You can look at the explosion of how easy it is to access so many other sports now. You know, the, the choice is different than it even was 10 years ago than it was 20 years ago. So we get distracted by all sorts of other things. And I think that's part of the problem where we see a dilution of how people ingest content, if you want to call it that, you know, take in games, um, you know, for example, I mean, the Champions League to me doesn't start until the last eight. You know, the Champions League at the moment, because, you know, you don't really get upsets. You might get a big team losing in a, in a group game, but they're still going to go through. It's very rare that, you know, the top team in a group doesn't go through. So I think they've, they've sucked some of the magic out of that. So I think what I want to watch is something of interest in Scotland. I don't think have been of great interest. We are a little bit now. Um I have to say that I'm not buying into this, you know, this big unbeaten run and, you know, aren't we wonderful? I mean, did anybody remember the Israel games, which I sat and watched? I mean, they were terrible. But, and again, I would never say that anybody that pulls it, well, very few that pull on the jersey aren't trying hard, they're not wanting to win, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, both those Scotland-Israel games were pretty damn turgid. And I th- can't think we can just let one good result after that sort of escape everything. You know, we are what we are. Now, if we're going to be a hard-working, hard-to-beat team, then that's fine. If that's what we're going to be, then let's present ourselves as that. Yeah, I think I think the whole um, hard-to-beat scenario um, is, is good as long as you've got some at the other end. But that is your game, um, the playoff. <laughs> that that was that would have good football stopped. Um, both both sides were poor that night. Um, but. You know, and but I mean, we, we somehow got through, and then the two games afterwards though were a little bit better. Um, certainly defensively, we played well again, but we showed a little more going forward and did enough to win the two games one nil. Um, is it going to take some some of that to keep going for maybe more people to get interested? Because it's not just yourself. I mean, you. I remember that Italy game. There was like. Um, so many people queuing up and to get into a pub to watch the game at eight o'clock in the morning, and the game was at five o'clock, and there was so you couldn't get a saltire for your car anywhere. Now, <laughs> you, um, there was what twenty thousand when we last played Israel at home, oh, seventeen thousand. Sorry, really? Yeah, yeah, people are now a lot more fussy. You know, I mean, you talk about that Italy game. I mean, the France game. You know, I mean, Hamden was shaking for these games, you know, the win against Ukraine. I mean, there's Hamden can be an amazing place when it's full and we're doing well. There's absolutely no doubt about it. But it's the old, if it's pouring down on a Wednesday night, why travel to Glasgow? Hamden isn't the easiest place to get to. It's not the easiest place to find a car parking space. Uh, Glasgow's finest don't make it particularly easy to, to get away from the ground. Um, I think that's something Scotland need to address is, is how fans get in and out. Uh, I, I 
been fortunate. I've travelled a fair bit. I've been to you know America. I go to American sports, and they seem to be able to get crowds you know in and out pretty well. We don't seem to be able to do these things. And the big bottom line when that big bad television carries the game live, people have got a choice to make. You know, are you going to spend 30, 40 quid on a ticket, the travel time, all of that sort of stuff when they're not playing particularly well, they're not playing against players that you particularly want to see in the flesh. I think Wales have shown, if you take Wales as an example, I mean, Wales were, were way far down for a long time and they slowly built it back up that, you know, people now want to watch the Welsh national team. We're getting there. We're not there yet, but we are getting there. Yeah, that's definitely key. How much do you think the week of football is having an effect, you know, um, with this playing some games on a Monday, for example, you're not, it's, for someone up in Inverness or Fort William, you essentially two days off work to go watch Scotland now. So I think there's two, there's two trains of thought to this. One is I'm always hesitant to say back in the day, because, you know, we are looking forward. So if I ever go to that back in the day, it was better. It's because I've genuinely given it some thought. The, the week of football is nonsense. Yeah. You know, we want to play it on a Saturday and a Wednesday. You know, playing it Sunday at seven o'clock at night, simply because broadcasters want to pad out their schedule. So some boy in Belgium can watch, you know, Scotland play Luxembourg because that's the game on at that time. To me, is nonsense. But... Television owns football. Simple as that. It owns it at all levels. Um, that you know, for the top leagues and onwards. And if we want the money, this is what we've got to go. Scotland are not a decision maker for me in this process. That comes to your England's, Italy's, France. You know, all all the big nations. Uh, we're collateral damage as far as that's concerned. Now I don't know how the the SFA could stand up and say actually. We're not playing at seven o'clock on a Sunday night because, quite frankly, our fans will not travel for that. And it's unfair. I'd love to see them try, uh, but I don't think they'd get very far. Television owns football. I think we've just got to accept that. But this trying to sell it for what it is, it's there to give broadcasters who are paying high amounts of money content for their channels. It's not there for you to select when Scotland play. It's not there for you to select when Scotland play so you can travel to it. It's no longer about you and I and the Tartan Army. It's all about it's all about the money. Yeah, that's an unfortunate reality. Um, but we'll move on to the, the actual game. So it's Serbia week on Thursday. Um, Serbia, um, the results have been a little bit mixed recently, but um, they lost to Russia, they've drawn um, they lost to Hungary, they've drawn a couple other games, but they won the most important one which was away to Norway, which was a tremendous result. Norway with Haaland in the team, they're never improving nation. Um, just sum up the difficulties that Scotland have got next week. See, I, I would sum it up by saying that if Serbia lose to Scotland, the manager should get sacked. I, th- I think that's the level we're looking at. They will expect to go through against us. So I think that's the level of what we're up against. Now, I'm not saying we can't win, but I think that's the impact that I think it will have. Serbia, you know, they've been to the last three World Cups. I think, you know, they're used to qualifying for things and they will expect to qualify. They, they would have, I don't think they could have cared less, to be honest, whether it was Scotland or Israel. I don't think they would have had a preference. Uh, they're the higher seed, they're at home. I'm surprised it wasn't Norway. Uh, I'm actually pleased it wasn't Norway because I think they're a better team than Serbia. But, you know, you look at Kolarov, Tadic, Mitrovic, Jogovic, they've, they've got the talent all over the park. But do we have the better team? And that's what Steve Clark's got to solve. Can he find a team that can go out 
and give a hard-working performance and hopefully do enough to find two or three chances along the way. That That's my thoughts. I think they're the better squad, but, you know, Scotland are starting to turn a corner. Now, if I can just jump back slightly just on the, the Nations League thing, I mean, this is nonsense. You know, this, this carrot, you know, well, you might get a playoff here which will allow you to play off here to play off there. This is a complete and utter sop so the top nations don't have to play the other nations. This is to try and again for television to create an artificial market that England can play Germany or France can play Germany and it's supposed to mean something, which means, you know, you can charge more for the games, etc. So I, I just see this as, as a sneaky back door. Now, I've had people say to me, yeah, well, just accept it for what it is. I struggle with that because, you know, we're expanding these tournaments to let more teams in. By definition, you're letting in poorer teams. You know, I just want, you know, for the World Cup, you know, there's talk about the World Cup going to 48. That's moronic. You know, get the 32 best teams and let's see the best football. Because any time you expand something, yes, you might get one that sneaks through that's just got a little bit better over the last couple of years. But out of those 16 extra teams at World Cup, you know, probably 15 of them will get sent packing first. I don't want to see it padded out. We're taking away the magic. And again, it's all about the money. Yeah, I agree that this um, a 16-team Euros and a 32-team World Cup works better. Um, I don't know why they chose to fix it. Well, you've just summed up why yeah, they're trying to fix it. So. It's my, we've, we've seen it in the, in the women's game as well. I mean, it's great to see the Scotland women's team now qualifying, but it's yeah. arguable whether they would or not under the, the previous numbers because they simply weren't amongst the good enough nations. Now we're getting there, and it's nice to see us there. Hmm. Um, but under the old the old style, I don't think we would have got there. Well, the women seem to be fair to win the World Cup group, so in that regard, you probably would argue that. Had they been like, second in a group, um, or third in a group, you could maybe argue. Um, then, I mean, that's an interesting point about the Nations League. I argued, um, I made this point a while ago that, I think the nations, because of what's going on with coronavirus, there's a big argument that international football could have actually been stopped this year. Scrap the Nations League and just have the playoffs next March. Um, because now you've got a scenario where Scotland have got tra- to travel to three different countries uh, in six days. Um, I just think it's absolutely ludicrous to ask that, um, especially given the fact that the virus is now spreading further, out, more out of control, in my opinion, than it was in March. The only way we go back to normalcy is if we get therapeutics or we get a vaccine. And I think apart from that, we've got to try and be clever about these things. And I don't think going to three countries in six days is is particularly clever. Um, you could applaud them, John, and saying they're, they're trying to be normal. They're trying to you know, provide entertainment for people mm-hmm. as long as the players are comfortable. That would be my, my only thing. As long as the players are comfortable and feeling they're not being put at risk. If there was a feeling that the players were being put at risk, mm-hmm. I would rather we simply didn't play. Yeah, I mean, we've had the example with the Czech Republic game where Czechs had to play a second team against us. Um, Scotland then suffered themselves last month um, with Tierney Christie and Armstrong, um, plus Scott McKenna injured. Um, and that brings me to another question. Out of those players that I've just named, do you think who, who do you think should walk back into team, if any? Because the team did well last month in the couple of games. The, the team did well. I'm not convinced that McTominay in a back three. I think McKenna's better there. I think McTominay's a better midfield player. Um, I think Robertson starts ahead of Tierney if we're playing a four, or even if we're playing the, the wing backs. Uh, it's a shame, but I don't think we'd be trying to shoehorn them both into the same side. I don't like that. 
Yeah. Uh, Christie's the one for me. I think Christie's a terrific player. On his yeah. day, Ryan Christie is, is absolutely terrific. And I'm not convinced we can do without that kind of talent. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's, he's scored a great goal, unfortunately, against my team, Aberdeen, <laughs> the weekend. Um, but no, yes. he, he's, a, he's a super player. But when you look at um, how well Fraser and Dykes performed together and McGinn played well behind them, Again, you can argue where does Ryan Christie fit in, but then Christie the previous month against Israel and Czech, and, uh, Czech Republic played very well and is arguably one of our best players the last few games. Yeah, I mean, he, he wasn't out uh, because of poor form and he would have started, I think, Yeah, well, it's out. in that game. And based on that, I would start him again in Serbia. I think he's too good not to have in the team. That, that, you know, but th- this is the good thing. At least we're now starting to talk about positive players that we've got choices at positions, you know, we can look at. I still think we're extremely thin uh, up up at the top part of the field. You know, we don't mm-hmm. have what you would class as a natural goal scorer. We've got some promise there, but I don't think you would class as you've got anybody that would particularly scare opposition defences. But, you know, you've just got to hope that, you know, I think that our strength is in the midfield areas. And if we can control that and win that, um, and stop teams coming through us. I think mean, I think we've got every chance. Yeah, definitely. And, and another player, obviously with regards to strikers, Lee Griffiths has started showing signs um, in the Celtic squad. Now, I think if he came into the Scotland squad, he wouldn't start because I think Dykes has earned his shirt. But would, do you think, as we're talking, the, um, the squad hasn't been announced yet, but do you think Griffiths is a good option to have um, if we choose to call him up? Lee Griffiths is an enigma. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Lee Griffiths on his day is a fantastic player that players hate playing against. But you know, you just wonder with everything that's gone on for the guy, whether we'd be putting too much pressure on him. If it was a footballing decision, yes, I'd, I'd play Griffiths ahead of Dykes. Personally, I think he's just got a little bit more about him. Mm-hmm. I, and I like him as a player. We talk about you know the two goals that he scored against England. I mean, one of them should have been saved. Again, it falls into the who cares category. Uh, but Joe Hart should have saved one of them. Um, you know, and we blew that game, which was which was so yeah, not go there. <laughs> um, But yeah, I mean, I, I would start Griffiths. But th- this is a good thing that we can start to talk about. But, you know, do, do we have a, a Jovic, a Mitrovic, a collar of players like that? We don't. Serbia, I think, have got the better players. We've got to be set up better. I think Lee Griffiths will give you more chance of a goal than Lyndon Dykes. Dykes, I think, will come on and be a good player. But is there any way you could start both? Again, you would have to start tinkering with the rest of the team and the formation to make that happen. And I don't think we do that away from home. No, I don't think. I think we're setting this 3-5-2 or 3-4-3, whatever it's um, going to end up being. Um, but it's. I was a critic of it. Um, but it's starting to show signs that it could be working the last couple of games, certainly. Um, suppose with regards to def- a defence that's kept a clean sheet, I mean, you mentioned McTominay, um, I agree he's a midfielder. Um, Andy Constantine also came in and did a good job. Declan Gallagher came in and did a good job, and they're not really playing at the top level. Um, but again, do you make the case that because Tierney's back, um, providing he obviously doesn't have any more tests, um, that he goes back straight back into the team ahead of them and McKenna. I'm a, I'm one for playing players in their best positions, especially the higher up you go. Tierney to me is a left back. He's not a centre half, so I don't want you know I don't think he's part of a three for me. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. play him. Uh, McKenna coming back in. I mean, Considine's chance 
was overdue. Andrew Considine is a yeah. very experienced, very solid defender who has played in European football, has some you know awareness of that. It was no surprise to me that he played really well. Um, and it shouldn't have come as a surprise to anybody else. The higher you go up, it was interesting. I was speaking to a former player yesterday, and he and he was telling me that the higher you go up, it's just it's the class of player that makes a difference. They do things without thinking that you wouldn't even think about. That's mm-hmm. the difference. Doesn't mean you're a bad football player, but these are just slightly better players. And I think we're up against slightly better players. And if that's the case, you don't want players to be playing out position because if it doesn't come natural to them, that that's my concern. I think you can get away with certain things further down the ranks, but here I would rather be playing centre halves who play in a three in a three rather than just trying to fit people in the team. Yeah, I would agree with that. I know Tierney's done okay with Arsenal in that, that system, but again, it does seem to be shoehorning and people into the team because of their reputation, which isn't always to the best um, for and, the team. Tierney's one of my favourite players. I think he's a tremendous football player. Yeah. Um, and it's heartbreaking if you've got to leave somebody of that quality out. But to me, we've got to be about the team and the system. And if, if Steve Clark thinks he's the best fit, go ahead and play him. You know, I'm, the one thing I will not do, John, is second guess what Steve Clark puts out. Because I think one thing we tend to forget sometimes as fans is that these guys are watching these guys in training. They're seeing how they're performing. You know, they'll know if there's a little niggle injury. They'll know if there's a little problem somewhere else. So I, I think we can sometimes disagree with selection, but usually there's a pretty good reason for what they do. Um, so we, I would certainly give Steve Clark the benefit of the doubt, however he wanted to go on this. Definitely. Um, and with regards to um, Serbia, you know, you've mentioned Mitrovic, the goals that he provides, um, Milinkovic in midfield um, for his age, very experienced at this level. Um, there's Tadic, who used to play for Southampton, is doing well at Ajax. They've just got a, a lot of quality that um, it's going to be a hard shift for, for Scotland. So, I mean, it's so crucial that all our guys are switched on and playing to their best. Yeah, and I think under Steve Clark, they seem to have managed to find a way to win. Not always pretty, but it doesn't always have to be. Uh, Steve Clark will have watched Serbia. He'll know, you know how they're going to play inside out. Steve Clark's got a lot of contacts in football. You know, I presume, and it'd be negligent of him if he hasn't, you know, reached out and you know found out bits and pieces. I think we'll be seriously well prepared. But then again, so will Serbia. They'll know where the danger comes from, from us. They'll know that midfield is our strength. It might be that they try and just turn us on our heels, you know, try and play a few more long balls than perhaps we're expecting, just to try and bypass our midfield and, and sneak in behind us. And sometimes when you play the three, that's the danger that your flanks are a little bit more exposed. So they'll have a game plan as well to try and see how they can get on top of Scotland. And I, I mean, I think it makes for a fascinating contest. There's, there's no doubt about it. It's not one, as I say, I would probably have written us off if we'd gone, been going to Norway. Um, you know, I've done a few games in the Laval, and it's a tremendous stadium to go and watch football in. Norway played pretty damn well there. And I just thought they had more threats in their team. Um, so for Serbia to go there, when it matters, you mentioned that their form has been mixed. I think they won five of 11, lost three. Um, it has been mixed, but I, I tend, you tend to judge teams against when it matters. You know, what, what is the clutch game? And, you know, that was clutch for them going to play Norway, and they won it pretty well. Yeah, they definitely does. I mean, going to Norway and win is, is a tremendous achievement. Um, it's 
I mean, obviously with the, the, the no crowd situation, Scotland obviously played with no crowd at Hamden. I think I'm... I think I might be right, but it might be 30% in Serbia just now, because I, th- I know UEFA gave that guideline to most of Europe. I don't know if Serbia's um, one of them that's, that's going to be doing that. It's less intimidating than what it would have been going to Belgrade with, um, you know, um, a full, a full capacity crowd, but still, it must give them a slight advantage knowing that they've got some backing, whereas there's not one Tartan army going to be there. That's a sad thing as well. But it's yeah, safe. But, yeah, it's safe. I, I mean, I wouldn't want to to underplay what the Tartan Army can bring when Scotland go abroad. I mean, they are quite amazing, but, you know, they didn't make a difference in all the away games that I went to, <laughs> largely. So, you know, the Tartan Army are wonderful. They go away, they have great trips, they have a fantastic fun, they follow their team through, you know, it's the old gag, through thin and thin. Um, but I, I don't know if it makes that much difference. What I think you tend to find on the park is, where's the motivation coming for for the players? You know, some players don't need a crowd to be motivated. You know, some players will just be, you know, fixed on their aim. I think the difference is that some players who may retreat slightly into their shell in a in a in a really sort of passionate atmosphere aren't going to suffer that. So, you know, it might just take the pressure off us a little bit and allow us to play. But again, it just depends what's motivating Serbia as well. You know, they they know they've got a chance. Um, you know it. Because the basic bottom line, I'm not trying to under undermine Scotland. If you'd offered Serbia, Scotland at home for a place to go forward, they would have taken that. And I'm not sure that we would have taken having to go to Serbia. Oh, I think, as you say, out of the two, Norby and Serbia, that probably is the weaker of the two. But for them, they would have happily taken Scotland or Israel. It's yeah. that simple. Um, right, let's put our cards on the table. Um, what's your prediction for the game, Paul? <laughs> Uh, I don't think we're going to win. I mean, but I'm a, I'm a Scot. I'm a natural pessimist. Um, <laughs> so, so no, I, I don't think we're going to win. I don't think we'll be disgraced either. I have to say, um, but I'd be desperately hoping that I'm wrong, because let, let's be honest, it would just be nice to actually have a tournament for us. You know, rather 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 than thinking, you know, Danny, the new telly to watch the World Cup, it'd be actually nice to think, Danny, you know. <laughs> can actually figure out a way of getting there to watch games. That that would be nice. So, yeah, I, I think we'll lose, but hey-ho. We, you know, 50-50, you know, you, it's the old story. It's, you know, it's a red card after five minutes. Yeah, anything can happen, and that, that's why we, we play play the games. I mean, all, all the cliches are true. You know, nobody would have thought we would have gone to France and won over there. Nobody thought, you know, we, we would actually do the double over France in that group. By the same token, nobody th- you know would have thought that uh, Macedonia would have done us either. So, anything anything is possible, um, and I think I think we travel more in hope than expectation. But sometimes hope wins. Yes, the hope that kills us as well. Um, we've just had that much experience. So we've been in this movie before. I'll take a penalty shootout if, if that's what it takes to get through. But um, we'll wait and see. But listen, Paul, thank you very much for your time and. Um, Let's hope that you're wrong in this case. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be delighted to be wrong, John. Absolutely (laughs) delighted. (laughs) Thanks for your time, Paul. Take care. We're now on to part two of this triple guest special, previewing Scotland's upcoming Euros 2020 playoff in Serbia. We've heard from Man in Media. Now it's time to hear from a fan, as I'm joined by Tartan Scarf blogger Gordon Shia. Gordon, welcome along. 
Thanks so much for having me. Uh, not a problem, Sam. How have you been keeping? Um, keeping sane as much as you can, really. Um, I think we're all used to lockdown, used to staying in the house. Um, yeah, every day blends into, into one at the end of the day, really. Yeah, it's a different norm. I mean, um, one thing that has obviously thrived in this time is Zooms, um, which we're obviously recording on just now. So mm. I think that's been the biggest benefactor of 2020. Um, so just for those who don't know um, what your blog, we've mentioned it's Tartan Scarf. Um, just for the benefit of our um, listeners, what is Tartan Scarf? Yeah, so basically the Tartan Scarf is kind of just a, a personal passion project that I started um, last year. Um, it's an idea that I'd had bouncing around for a while. I've always been a massive Scotland fan. Scotland have always been the team for me. I've always had more of an emotional emotional connection with the national team than any club side. Um, I work in kind of PR, sports marketing, that sort of area. And I'd been doing a sort of qualification in digital marketing. So I'd fancied sort of starting something web and digital related just that I could just experiment a place to play and try things and do some fun things with graphics and design mm-hmm. and writing and and yeah just a passion project that I want to kick off but a place that I could host content um obviously in the first instance primarily written by myself um but I've been fortunate enough that I've had people reach out and offer things that they've written that they want to put on the website which I'm delighted to do you know if I can if I can have the website as a sort of almost like a content hub just for for content around the Scotland national team that's positive, that's engaging, that's interesting. Look, I'm absolutely delighted to do that. So that's kind of my, my mission statement, really. Yeah, excellent. And, um, you know, um, so when did you um, come up with the idea um, for, you know, for, do, for doing your blogs and, um, you know, the um, no, when, when did it first come about for you? Yeah, well, like I said, I mean, it had been an idea that had been sort of percolating around for a while, something that I'd sort of, you know, you have an idea and then you don't think about it for a few weeks and then the idea comes back again. You're like, oh, you know, that that is a good idea. Maybe I should follow up on that. But for me, the kind of jumping off point was probably Steve Clark getting, getting appointed as Scotland manager, because for me as a Scotland fan, I just saw this as a perfect combination of the guy's CV, his experience, and what the Scotland national team is in a global context. You know, I've always felt in the past that, look, if you've been successful as Celtic manager or Rangers manager, of course, that that is fantastic, you know, being successful winning trophies. But Celtic are not the Scotland national team. You know, if you've been Celtic manager and you're Scotland manager, Scotland are not going to have 60% possession in every game. We don't have better players than our opponents. The job is to create a team from that's more than the sum of its parts you've got some good players some less good players and for me that's kind of exactly what Steve Clark did at Kilmarnock you know he took this team that were struggling he gave them purpose he gave them a strategy and a plan he brought them together and he gave teams bigger than his a bloody nose every now and again and that to me is the perfect description of what the Scotland job is so I think just the positivity I felt around Steve Clark's appointment that was really the jumping off point for me to say right no good times are coming I'm doing it yeah it's as good a time as any I mean um, because after um, the, the second coming of Alec McLeish which unfortunately didn't go um, according to plan the only way really was up after that um, so slowly we're getting there um, I mean your, your blogs have been I've, I've read a few of them they've been tremendous you're one recently in the Nations League. I know this is uh, mainly a preview of the playoff, um, but we shouldn't overlook the Nations League games that are coming up either. Um, you really reel down as to why it's important because a lot of cynical people um, look at the Nations League as just glorified friendlies, and I suppose um, they can be justified in some ways, but you've rightly pointed out that this isn't just for 
you know, back up to World Cup 22, uh, 2022, it's also progressive for Euro 2024 as well. It is, absolutely. I mean, this these three games that we've got next week, you're absolutely right, they could be absolutely pivotal to our success over the next four years, which is just absolutely incredible to, th- to, to think. I mean, in a way, I... I forgive some people for maybe not exactly following what the Nations League is all about. To be honest, I think if UEFA dropped the ball a little bit, it was the way that they changed when they went from the first season of Nations League to the second, and they expanded the League A from 12 teams to 16 teams, so therefore teams that were going to get relegated didn't. You know, And I think that's where it lost a lot of people, because they, they could understand that we were in the group with Israel and Albania in League C, we won that, we get promoted... So then how come Israel got promoted as well? Because they were in our group and then they're in our group again. And I just think that dichotomy just sort of completely lost people. Yeah. But hopefully, you know, that that was sort of a, a driving reason for that doing that article was just because people just didn't seem to gather the opportunity that's right there for us to grab now. You know, we've got we've got two games left. They're two away games. They're not going to be easy, but we're four points clear at the top. One win and we're there, we're promoted. And like you said, they would almost effectively guarantee us a, a playoff for the next World Cup if we need it. It would mean we're seeded second for Euro 2024 qualifying, which considering top two qualify automatically, being seeded second would be a huge advantage. Yeah. And it would basically guarantee us a playoff for Euro 2024 if we need it as well. So, you know, UEFA competitions, they're always they're always set up to help the big teams. But if we can get to League A, we will be one of those big teams and we can reap the rewards. And I think when you look at what the Scotland women's national team have done, once you get that monkey off your back of winning one, uh, winning winning and qualifying for one major finals, it's so much easier to do another. You know, you look at look at Andy Murray in the tennis, for example. Every time he would turn up at Wimbledon, he would turn up with the weight of expectation and just the baggage of the 60, 70 years of British men's failure at Wimbledon. But once he'd won it, that's gone and it gets so much easier. And I just think if this Scotland group can qualify for a tournament, we won't, we're not going to go 22 years again. Yeah, let's hope. I mean, that's um, when Morocco beat us 3-0 um, in World Cup 98. I never thought for one minute I'd be waiting 22 years for another uh, major tournament. Um, so I can only imagine how you're feeling being a bit younger. Um, you've not seen Scotland a major tournament. Um, but well, just... well, actually, well, actually, I was... Um, it's funny you say that, but, but France 98 was actually that was when I made my emotional connection to the Scotland national team because my my mum my and dad weren't really into football at all, so I didn't really have any club team, didn't go to club team matches growing up. But I was nine years old at France 98 and just the fact that that was our team, that was my team, that was our team, something we all shared, and there they are on telly, they're playing. That was what made that connection for me. So yeah, nine years old, beaten by Morocco, tears before bedtime, and I was like, next time, we'll, we'll get them next time. And I, yeah, I, I didn't expect it to take this long. <laughs> I know Morocco have been back at World Cup since us and I'll also never forget Brazil and that opening game. That was pinnacle for me as a Scotland fan personally. Um, when was your first Scotland game? Um, so in terms of attending Scotland games, it was only actually, it was Alex McLeish's first spell. It was his first mm-hmm. game in charge um, against Georgia at home, the Craig BT. Yes. Last minute, mm-hmm. sclaffed winner. Um, that was my first home game. And since then, I've only missed... There was two home games in 2009 when we played in Macedonia and the Netherlands under mm-hmm. George Burley. I was in Canada on a university exchange then. Those are the only home games I've missed until the, the ones last month, of course. 
Yeah, that's that's quite an impressive start. That um, and unfortunately, obviously, we can't get to um, home games just now. Um, My cardboard what? cutout was there though, so I'm I'm still counting. Yes. <laughs> you, you're there in spirit, if not body. <laughs> um, in terms of away games, have you, um, what was your first away game? First away game was uh, it was Craig Levine's first game in charge. It was Lithuania. 2010 mm-hmm. um 0-0 draw completely mm-hmm. nothing to write home about from that game um plus uh, i went with a couple of friends and we do, we've done a few other away trips and the process we evolved it we got better we got more efficient that trip we spent five nights in kaunas which was at least three too many to be honest um but it was a great great trip you get the bug you travel places you never thought you would go um and yeah you meet some great folk Excellent. What's been your favourite away trips? Um, so the Euro 2016 campaign for me was absolute pinnacle because obviously there was the expectation with it being a bigger tournament that we were going to qualify, that we were going to get there. They had the away points system and obviously myself and my couple of friends, we were quite high up in the points because we'd been to away games. So we were looking at being able to get t- tickets for the tournament. We, we would have been first in line had we qualified. So the only away game I didn't do in that campaign was Georgia. Um, but in that group, I mean, they were fantastic for trips. I mean, going to uh, Dortmund, we stayed in Dusseldorf for Germany was phenomenal. Poland was absolutely incredible. The stadium, just space age. The game was great. The city was fantastic. Um, Dublin as well was another good one as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a real, real highlight. Although going to, going to Faro for the last game against Gibraltar, which obviously we thought was going to be the party, the confirmation, it was going to be a party on the beach because we'd qualified and then we didn't beat Poland the night before and Ireland obviously beat Germany and going to Faro, obviously my connecting flight went through Dublin. So the day after, <laughs> the day after we had drawn to Poland, ending our hopes, I'm in sitting in Dublin airport, thoroughly miserable, obviously in the kill, and I've got German fans coming up to me apologising that they lost to Ireland <laughs> and it's just the, the, the last place on earth I wanted to be <laughs> Yeah, I think that Poland game mean we're 2-1 up it's looking good for us um, we're thinking right, a German goal that'll just make it for us, we'll get ourselves over the line and then when news came through and Shane Long scored, um, Hamden yeah. just fell into silence that night and then we obviously lose the goal in the last minute but I think to be By honest... By that point it didn't matter. It yeah didn't, exactly the Ireland yeah. was the, the killer unfortunately. Um, so that was just one of many um, failures that we've had over the past 22 <laughs> years which you've recently written about in your blog um, this week I think it was another excellent piece even if it did bring back some bad memories um, <laughs> What was it right lighting that? Oh it was good, oh, it's great I mean look when you've been a Scotland fan long enough you kind of learn, you take the rough with the smooth, you know, it, it the, the the path to success never runs smooth, you know, I mean, it's good fun, you know, as the way, the way I look at it, if something can make you feel genuinely this miserable and that good, you know, you can't have one without the other. So it, it, it was a lot of fun going back through it. Um, some, a lot of good memories there. Uh, but, you know, looking at it, you know, so in summary of the whole 22 years, we've been in the position we're in right now only three times. So, you know, 90 minutes away from actually qualifying for a tournament. And that's playoff against England in 2000, playoff against the Netherlands for 2004, and final game against Italy for 2008. So the way I'm looking at it for next week, and I'm sure we'll come on to this, but 
whatever Serbia are, and they're a very good team, they've got very good players, they're not England, they're not the Netherlands, and they're not Italy. So this is a very good chance for us. Yeah, definitely. Is. I mean, um, there's obviously been optimism from from recent matches. I mean, the, I'll be honest, the playoff semi-final against Israel, when they get football stopped, and it was very nervy. Um, glad, relieved we get through that game to be perfect us, because we didn't play well that night at all. But the, the next two performances against Slovakia and Czech Republic, there was something there um, that you could say, well, we're defending well, and we look a threat going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, I was I was the same as everybody. You know, when when it was the First Nations League game back in September and we played Israel at home and we drew 1-1 and he he debuted the sort of three-at-the-back system and you heard it was Scott McTominay at centre-back and you're thinking, what is the thought process here? I mean, Clark had had a full year and a bit, you know, to effectively to build towards these games and he'd effectively been playing variations of a 4-3-3 throughout and then suddenly you're thinking, right, we're a month away from the big game and you've thrown that out the window and you're totally changing your system. Like, what's the thought process here? And those two games, Israel and the Czech Republic, they did not fill you with confidence in this new system. But I think you're absolutely right, especially the games after the playoff semi. You're seeing some real confidence now in that team. And I think what's even more impressive is that you've seen the lineups change a little bit. You know, he's, he's trying to go for a settled team as much as he can. But let's not forget, we lost three probable starters the night before the Israel playoff semi. So that last set of three games was already removed from his first choice 11. But different players came in and they just played the same way in the system. So that shows you that the group as a whole, they know exactly what they're supposed to do in that system. So that that that's that gives me confidence. Yeah, obviously, you mentioned the, the players that missed it last month. So... Um... Armstrong tested positive. Tierney and Christie were um, told basically self-isolate. Yep. Two of the, those would have definitely would most likely have started. Mm-hmm. Scott McKenna being injured would, would have probably be another one. Liam Palmer, Do they come back in? Um, it, 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 it's a big question. I think you look at the squad that Steve Clark has called up for this for these three games next week, and the word you'd use to describe it is settled. Like it is, he's not made many changes at all which makes me think, I I don't think he's going to make many changes to his starting 11 at all. I think if you look at the starting 11 in the system that he's going to play, for me, there's actually only two questions to answer. One of which, does Tierney come back in and play left centre-back? I think he probably does. And the other question is, does Stephen O'Donnell continue at right-back or does Liam Palmer come back? And if I was putting myself in Steve Clark's shoes, I think it'll be Stephen O'Donnell because of the for that consistency of having played the last three games. Because I think if you look at successful international teams, you look at what Northern Ireland have done in recent years, you become a better international team when you play consistently together. So I think I, I don't see him making changes. Yeah, I don't see there being many. I mean, Andy Constantine played very well in those last two games. Um, but then you've got McKenna coming back and Cooper and Tierney, as you mentioned. All of a sudden, you're thinking of the squad... There's actual options there. And Declan Gallagher's another one who came in for those three games and never put a foot wrong. No, not at all. Not at all. Very, very impressive. You know, I think probably the best thing you could say about Declan Gallagher is that you actually really hardly noticed him. You know, I mean, we've seen, we've, we've watched Scotland play enough times and we've watched enough shaky defensive performances when we try and play out and guys are not comfortable on the ball, passing the ball out and there's mistakes and you just get this anxious feeling in the pit of your stomach whenever the ball's in our own final third. 
he just didn't get that. Whether it was Gallagher, whether it was Considine, Liam Cooper is also a great option. You know, they're 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 playing with confidence in that system, which which I think is great. Yeah, I must say I wasn't a fan of the um the three five two or whatever it is. Um because Alec McLeish had it, it never worked at all. Especially that Israel game away from we lost two win, two getting on ten. But mm-hmm. last couple of games it's starting to prove me wrong and it shows that's why Steve Clark's in the position he is and why you and I are talking on Zoom. So <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I'd I bow to Steve Clark's superiority. Um so just sum up the job that he's he's doing because I mean he had a tough start having we lost four at the first five games, but four of those were against Belgium and Russia. Oh, absolutely. And something else that people people need to bear in mind is that it was only just over 18 months ago that we started that Euro 2020 campaign in Kazakhstan, in Astana, and got turned over 3-0 in probably one of the, the worst results in our history. You know, So Steve Clark comes into a group and a squad whose confidence is at a really, really low ebb, you know, and then you're absolutely right. The run he goes on with starting at Cyprus, but then home and away games against Belgium and Russia. I mean, those were demoralising, to say the least, you know. And again, I I think maybe that's what's played into this change in system as well, because you look at that, we played those four games, we conceded 13 goals in those four games, whereas in in our, you know, we've got three clean sheets in a row now. We've only conceded like what one goal this year. <laughs> that that says it all for me. Yeah, two goals this year. Um, Israel and Czech Republic. But um, but yeah, to, I mean to have three clean sheets. No, good considering that the only clean sheets we conceded then um, we had the last couple of years was against Zambarino. So <laughs> um, you know to have three in a row is um is pretty good going. Um, it's obviously going to be a bit different next week. Uh, Serbia. Um, they're as you, as as you say. They're not, they're not the level of England, Holland and Italy, um, or, or those teams were at that point. Um, but they are, they are a capable side. The results, they had a, had a look at their results for 2020. So they've lost to Russia, which is no, no shame. They've drawn twice with Turkey, um, and they've lost to Hungary in the Nations League. But crucially, the one game they did win was the most important one, going to Norway and winning. All right, took extra time, but to put aside a progressive side like Nor- Norway, and, snuff out at um, Haaland that, that's pretty good going and it shows that we do have a tough task ahead of us oh of course we do absolutely look and if qualifying was for an international tournament was easy everyone would do it you know it's not supposed to be easy things that are worth doing are supposed to be are supposed to be difficult you know Serbia are a very very good team but another thing to bear in mind is that you know when when this draw was made you know what was it November last year for the playoffs you were looking at it and you were thinking right I don't fancy playing up against Erling Haaland because we knew we were going to have to go away from home if we beat Israel. Don't fancy going and playing Erling Haaland against our defence. But on the flip side, I really don't fancy travelling to Serbia with that white-hot atmosphere, you know, absolutely fans on, on top of our players the entire time. Like, that could be a very difficult evening. So whatever we're going into next week, like, I'm, I'm not sure the exact situation of, of COVID in Serbia, but... I'd be incredibly surprised if there's anything approaching a capacity crowd next week. So whatever that atmosphere was that we might have feared in Belgrade, again, we're not facing that either. So there's notes of optimism, I think. Yeah, I think as things stand, it's that I think Serbia fall into the same category as the rest of Europe, which is 30%. So there will still be a, a crowd there, but yeah. spaced out. They won't be. They're not allowed to shout, etc. But 
still be good for Serbia to have that home crowd behind them, whereas Scotland won't have anyone. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, they've got a lot of strengths. I mean, they've got um, Belinkovic Savic from midfield. You know, he's had a lot of caps at the age of 25, a very good player. Lefalazio, Mitrovic, who we're probably more familiar with from his time at Fulham, um, scoring goals in the Premier League. Um, this, luckily, Tadic is out. Um, well, no, I, no, I think he's... I think he's. Is he going to be playing he, now? He played for Ajax last night. Oh, did he? Right, he had, okay. a, he had a second COVID test that apparently was negative. There was maybe a false positive or what have you. So no. Oh, one of those ones. Yeah. He's fine. Yeah, but but as as we learned the hard way with the last game, you know, you think you've got your squad up until the night, even the night before, and then all of a sudden yeah. you don't. So there's a long way to go. There's still what eight nine days before the game, so a lot can change. Yeah, definitely. Um, what do you think about the strengths of Serbia? Where do you think um, we should be worried? Um, I think, like I think, I, th- I would agree with what you what you said there. I think, obviously, Mitrovic is he's a predator. He's a he's a big physical striker. You know, you saw last year how our defense really struggled against a striker of that standard in Artem Zuba for Russia. Um, he was able to sort of you know hold off two defenders on his own. Milinkovic Savic is obviously world class. Dusan Tadic, basically, since he left the Premier League, his career has gone from strength to strength. Um, they have a lot of weapons, of course they do. But then you look as well, they concede a fair few goals as well. You know, they're not infallible at the back. And I think the combination that Clark has hit upon if with this two at the front, when it's Lyndon Dykes as your centre forward and Ryan Fraser in a kind of effectively a free role where he can just choose whichever direction of attack he wants to take up. I think that's a nightmare to defend against because Lyndon Dykes for me is our kind of answer to Artem Zuba, he's, I see him almost as a natural successor to Stephen Fletcher, able to win the ball in the air, hold the ball up, bring people into play. And Ryan Fraser, he's so fast, he's so quick, he's so good. Mm-hmm. And if he's not stuck to one wing, again, he's impossible to defend against. Because you saw the, I think it was the the second game, was it, or yeah, was it the Slovakia game uh, in Nations League where he tees up Stephen O'Donnell for the cross on the right wing, but yeah. then he puts in the cross for McBurney to head against the head against the bar from the left wing. So if you're a fullback, you just don't know which way he's coming. So we've got plenty of threats as well. Yeah, we've obviously mentioned Dykes and uh, Ollie McBurney is someone that has come in for a lot of criticism. Some of it justified, others have went a bit too far. Um, but the last couple of games when he's come off the bench, he's shown that he can be a threat as well. And another one that we've managed to bring back into the squad, providing everything goes well, Lee Griffiths is a good option to have with 20 minutes to go. So I don't think he'll start the game next week. But no, no he proved in this recent Celtic Aberdeen game that he can come on and score a goal. And again, against St. Johnson, he's someone that if it's 0-0 or one or one not Serbia, he can come on and turn the game for us. Yeah, of course he can. Absolutely. Look, he's, he's, he's an absolutely first-class player. But I think Steve Clark was clear in his comments to the media yesterday that, you know, Griffiths is, is joining the squad and he will start from the bench and I think that's absolutely yeah. that's actually a real a real note of confidence and a real positive positivity for the squad that we have that we're doing okay as we are you know what I mean that we're not scratching about in the dark looking for a miracle looking for a savior that we've got a plan he's got a system he's clearly got a starting 11 in his mind and anything else is how that can complement what he's already got so I, th- I think I, th- I think we're in a good place. Um, but look on on McBurney. I think I think he's been really unlucky. You know, if things had gone an inch or two the other way, you know, he 
came on came on against uh, Slovakia and hit the bar with with a header. He comes on against the Czech Republic. He has that phenomenal shot from outside the box, hits the bar. I mean, a couple of inches one way or another. He's sitting on a few Scotland goals and and no one's no one's criticizing him, you know? And for me, I think he's got the personality and he's got the banner and you see him on social media that I think he he's got everything he's got all the attributes to be a bit of a cult hero for Scotland. Mm-hmm. He scores a couple of goals, maybe even one next Thursday. Uh, yeah, I can see him being beloved <laughs> by the Tartan Army. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love personally to see him prove me wrong because um, at the end of the day, anyone in a dark blue shirt, I want them to do well. Bottom line, I want them to do well as long as they're showing the commitment. Um, so I'm going to put you in Steve Clark's shoes now, Gordon. Yep. What would your team be next week? Okay, so if I am... No, so, okay, so this is absolutely assuming that I am Steve Clark. This is... Wait, is this is this what I would do or is this what I think Steve Clark would do? <laughs> it's slightly both. different. Yeah. yeah, both. Okay. So for me, I would be willing to bet that this will be the lineup Steve Clark will go with. It'll be David Marshall and goals. It'll be the three at the back. It'll be Tierney, Gallagher, and McTominay. It'll be Robertson and O'Donnell wing backs. It'll be Jack, McGregor, McGinn in the centre midfield, and it'll be Dykes and Fraser up front. And would you personally make any changes to that, or do you think um, you're think happy that, to go with Steve Clark's thinking if that's what you think he's thinking? I think the only thing I would consider would be putting uh, Liam Palmer at right back because I thought when he came in, when he played for us, I think he's done pretty well. He set up a couple of goals. I thought the difference that he offered when you look at the, the first Israel game back in September, the Nations League game. And then the Czech Republic game four days later, it was James Forrest at right back in the first game. And then it was Palmer. Palmer offers offered so much going forward, ironically, given that he's not a yeah. winger and Forrest is. Putting the cross for Lyndon Dykes' goal. But I think he's he's far more secure at the back defensively as well. So, But Stephen O'Donnell, I think he really grew in confidence over the three mm-hmm. games in the last campaign and then the last uh, get together. And I think he would fully deserve to start the game. Yeah, that's another one that's probably um, silenced some critics the last couple of games because he really did come on those, la- those last two games in particular, um, O'Donnell, and obviously set up the goal, which would have added to his confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, that, the, the fact that you're not even considering Ryan Christie just now, and Christie was probably arguably our best players in the first set of games, um, it just shows, again, the options we have and that we've maybe found something, Fraser, and uh, thanks. Well, you're right. You're, ab- you're absolutely right. But I think... For me, I think Christie almost he almost falls between the gaps because he excelled when Steve Clark was playing the sort of four three three formation and the position that Ryan Christie was playing was right of midfield, right wing, where he could cut in on his left foot. You saw him score the goal in Cyprus that way. You mm-hmm. saw him pinging in crosses against San Marino that way. Like he was a fantastic threat in that position. But in this new system, I just don't necessarily know where Ryan Christie fits. Now, sure, maybe he could play as one of those midfield three. That's probably more his natural position, more where he plays for Celtic. But in terms of where he's excelled for Scotland, that's not where he's done it. So, and I just think the, I I would be so reluctant to break up that potent partnership that we've we've created between Dykes and Fraser up front. So it, it, it breaks my heart to do it because I love Ryan Christie. I think he's a phenomenal footballer. But just for this game, for this context, I struggle. Yeah, again, it's, it shows where we're at just now that um, we might not that he might not start. But again, another great option to have coming off the bench, and um, all of a sudden, you know, we have options that although they're still it is a team that could do with a little bit of improving. Uh, one thing I will ask um, before I ask for your prediction: um, Craig Gordon being back in the Scotland mm-hmm. squad, um, 
good number two to have? Oh, absolutely. Look, Craig Gordon, I mean, I think something that impressed me when you, you looked at the squad that was announced yesterday, there was not a single uncapped player in the squad. You know, and I think that was a deliberate thing by Steve Clark that he's had some of the younger guys in, like Porches, like Robbie McCrory, like Ross McCrory. Those guys are back with the 21s. They've got big qualifiers because the most important thing in this next week is about mentality. It's about the mental strength of the group. We are facing three absolutely massive games for this country and you need players, you need characters in there that have been there, they've been over the course, they've got the caps, they've had the experience. Craig Gordon's absolutely that guy. You know, I think people forget, especially in international football, it's not just about the 11 guys that start on the Thursday, on the Saturday, or come off the bench even. It's about the whole group. It's about the atmosphere in the hotel. It's about the atmosphere in training. It's about guys that are going to drive standards, that are going to lay out what's expected. And Craig Gordon's absolutely that person that you want in that in that group. Even if he's not going to play 100%, he will bring a lot to the team. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm certainly happy that he's um, in the squad. I think he proved in that game against Hibs in the semi-final that um, he's still a big game player. Arguably, um, she, um, Celtic made a mistake in letting him go, but that's another issue that's not, not for <laughs> us to worry about because we're talking about Scotland here. Right, so cards on the table, Gordon. Give us your prediction for the game. Oh, goodness me. I, I really hate to think. I really, really hate to think. I mean, I... It's going to be nervy. I, I think I will give I will give you the prediction. It will be one nil next Thursday. I don't know which way, but I think it will be one nil because I think the way that we are set up is obviously to be good at the back and to be better defensively, maybe even arguably than we are going forward. That we will keep it tight. We will try and soak up pressure. We will try and play on the break with playing up to Dykes, playing in Fraser, quick counters. We will try and nick a goal if we can't do that. We could concede, but I don't think we'll concede many. So uh, it's going to be what it's going to be decided by one goal, one way or another. Um, but my big worry, my bi- arguably probably my, my biggest worry next week is that win or lose on Thursday, the emotional toil that this is going to take on those players. Because as we described earlier, these two Nations League games, we need to win one of them. And they are absolutely massive, massive games for us. And just think, you know, if we've done it, if we win and we've qualified... <laughs> The guys are going to be on cloud nine. They're going to be absolutely mental. Kenny McLean's going to be cracking open the mad dog, you know, but you're still going to have to get your head in the game for your next games on Sunday and the following Wednesday. So, but then on the flip side, if we've lost again, that's going to be the biggest kick in the nuts you can imagine. But the boys are somehow going to have to raise themselves and lift themselves off the ground and go again and try and win the game in the next few days. So that's my worry is whatever happens on Thursday, it's how we then translate that into performances against uh, Slovakia and Israel because they are massive Yeah, and, for, and just to wrap up um, what would it mean to you personally asking the obvious question what would it mean to you personally if Scotland ended their 22 or what will be 23 year wait for a major tournament oh it, it would mean absolutely the world like I said I, I first fell in love arguably even with football but with international football with the Scotland national team when we were last at a major finals and I've grown up now, you know, I was, I was nine years old then, I'm 31 now. I've grown up with this coming so close with failure, with hope and expectation rising and falling and peaking and troughing. And what's hurt for me the most, I would say, is especially in recent years, 2016, 2018, 
when we're sitting at home watching these tournaments and you're seeing social media, you're seeing videos, and just the fun these guys are having, you're seeing the Northern Ireland fans, the Ireland fans, the Wales fans, the England fans, you know, pints thrown up in the air at fan zones, you know, and you're just like, when will when will that be our turn? Like just those magical moments, the t- the times when, and again, this 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 touches on what I said at the start that what I love about international football so much is that there's no partisan rivalry at all. It's all wiped to one side. There's no club dynamic whatsoever. This is our team for everybody. It touches everyone in the whole country and it can bring everyone together. So I, I just want those moments. You know, I'm desperate, desperate to have those moments. And look, obviously. <laughs> it's looking very likely that whatever the tournament's going to look like next year I mean it was disappointing enough as it is to be honest with you that we were going to be playing if had we qualified in normal times we'd be playing two group games at Hamden I mean I've seen us play plenty plenty games at Hamden obviously it would be a game at a major finals but what you want is you want the travel you want the big tournament experience and for me Euro 2020 was never really going to be that sure it might be now it's now I'm hearing it might be hosted in Russia but whether we're allowed to go, who knows. Um, but we'll still get that moment, you know. We'll still get those magical moments when the national team is playing and everybody is watching, and we can all share it. So, yeah, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, personally, I don't think it can be too big enough. Doesn't um, can't be too choosy after twenty-two years because it doesn't matter to me if it's Hampden or Moscow or the Moon. As long as we're at a major finals, I really couldn't care less. Um, but listen, Gon, thank you very much for your time. I've enjoyed your chat, and um, let's hope um, that we're all celebrating um, next Thursday. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. Cheers. We're now on to the final part of our preview of Scotland's Euro 2020 playoff game in Serbia on Thursday. And who better to round off our preview than the last man to take Scotland to a major finals? Yes, I am joined by the former Scotland manager, Craig Brown. Craig, welcome aboard. How are you? Hi, fine, John. Thank you. Nice to hear you. Yeah, nice to hear from you again. We also spoke um, you know, with the Tartan Army magazine and that, um, that was a well-received piece. So um, thanks for giving me your time again. So how have you been keeping lately? Well, I had a wee health scare, you know, a couple of months ago, but I'm okay now, thanks. You know, I had an aneurysm, which wasn't too good, but uh, I shouldn't have been saying it here because the press have phoned me and I've said I don't want any uh, publicity on it. You know, I don't want it to be mentioned and to be fair to them. You know, and I know a couple of years ago, Walter Smith had a major, huge eight-hour operation that was never mentioned because he asked, to not to be disclosed, you know, because, you know, you get all these sympathy calls and most of them are sincere, but the odd one, some of them are nosy, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've got to say that I haven't disclosed, you know, but I had a, a ruptured aorta uh, and an aneurysm there, which is quite a, a serious one, I'm, I'm told. I now know that, but uh, I'm over the, the worst of it and the surgeon has given me clearance. So I'll be driving my car shortly and it'll be dangerous then. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. No, it's, I'm glad to hear that you're over your little scare and um, thanks yeah. for giving us that little exclusive. It won't go any further. No, no. No, <laughs> um, I'm very happy to talk to you. Yeah, no, good stuff, Craig. I appreciate it. So we've also mentioned that you're the last man to have taken Scotland to a major finals. Um, that must be something that rankles you as well, that nobody else has done it in these 22 years. Why do you think it's um, that, that's been so long since um, you well, took us to France in 98? Well, you know, it does rankle me that. You know, I, I think I was, uh, uh, for, for 
12 years, and 12 years with the SFA, I was actually there 15 years, but in, in the first 12 years at the SFA, I was at five major tournaments and, you know, three World Cups. Sir Alec took me to Mexico and then I was Andy Roxford's assistant in, the, in Italy and then I had the team in France. And we've only ever been, this, this astonishes me, and some one of your journalists, I shouldn't say colleagues, but one of your colleagues told me that we've only ever been to two European Championships. And that was 92 and 96. Now, I'm privileged I was at both of them. So to have been at five uh, major tournaments uh, in a 12-year period, and now since then there's a 20-odd-year period, just over 20, we haven't been to one tournament. Now, that's distressing for me because I'm I'm desperate to get my scarf out and go as a member of the Tartan Army. I really I love watching Scotland. And I would love to go to a tournament just as a fan and watch the tournament, but we've not got there yet. But I'm very optimistic just now that Stevie Clark will get us to one. I certainly hope so. And there are things a bit more encouraging. Now, um, he's, he's trying to create Brown tactic, the 3-5-2, and um, being hard to beat at the back. And the last couple of games, it seems to be working. Well, yeah, well the 3-5-2 was great for us, as you know. <laughs> and of course... Pardon me, quite a number of the teams just now. Celtic have been playing it for a while. Neil Lennon has been using 3-5-2. But I, I use that because the most successful country in Europe, when I was a manager, was Germany. And Germany won Euro 96 with that formation. And their club sides were winning European tournaments. And, they, you know, Paul Lambert at Dortmund, they played that system. And, I, you know, I sat down with Paul. And I picked his brains. It was actually his fault, his manager, who he said was very good, the Austrian manager. And uh, uh, I know I asked things about the 3-5-2, how to shape it up. And then Bertie Volz came after me, but that was too late for me to do it with the national team. But Bertie used 3-5-2 with the German under-21 team. And we had to play them in Europe. And in fact, I matched up against them. And we beat them in the quarter-final of Europe uh, when Bertie was the manager. And we played that system. So... I don't want to go on and on about it, but I do fancy that. You know, I think a lot of positives in the 3-5-2, although the 4-4-2 or the 4-2-3-1, which is really 4-4-2 with a bit of a tweaking, yeah. the 4-2-3-1 or the 4-4-2 has stood the test of time. And the best manager on the planet used that so successfully, Alec Ferguson. Sir Alec used 4-4-2 consistently. And he had it to perfection, and you know. But I like playing against four four two with my three five. <laughs> so Stevie's Steve Clark's been using it recently, and uh, it's worked well. And I hope uh, it'll continue to do for Scotland. Yeah, certainly hope. So. I mean, there was a lot of critics to the the formation. I mean, I'll be honest, I was one of them because when Alec McLeish tried it. It didn't work. That I remember that as your game lost two one. It could have been a nine that night. We were really bad. Yeah. But and right. I wasn't too keen when we first used it under Steve in the first couple of games. But the last couple of games it's just starting to prove me wrong and that's why I do interviews and Zoom calls and I'm not Scotland manager. Um so <laughs> why do you um I mean it all comes down to personnel and how it's how it works and Correct. he seems to have been doing that well. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. It's about the the players you've got. You know, people say to me, why are Scotland not, you know, and, and I would never criticise a colleague, but, you know, it's nothing to do really with the managers that over the period that, that succeeded me. It's to do with the quality of players they've got. And I'm going to give you a very interesting statistic that uh, I've not said to anyone. 
I went to see, or sorry, I watched them. They tell them I'm not allowed to see a game at, at the moment. I went to watch Celtic and Rangers recently. Uh, and the two best teams in Scotland, I think everyone would agree with that. Mm. Although I'm an Aberdeen man, but uh, at the moment, Likewise. Celtic, well, Celtic and Rangers are top uh, of the league. And it'll astonish you to, when I tell you that if you're Steve Clark and you're looking at that game, and I've asked so many people how many players were eligible for Scotland in that game. And it's astonishing. And I'll, I'll, I'll start with Celtic. And, and you know that uh, at the time uh, of the game, well, still Scott Brown has said, I'm not, I'm not playing anymore. So you forget him. They had only three players in the team, starting team, and it was a young boy Welsh at the back. Now, he's not, you know, we're not pretending that he's an international player. And they had McGregor uh, in midfield. In fact, only two, only two started the game because Christie was uh, wasn't playing. Mm-hmm. Um, who else? Griffiths was in the bench. So um, I'll just have a wee look at. I, I noted it down there. And uh, I only Stephen Welsh, two players, and Callum McGregor started the game. And, and if you look at the Celtic team in that match, that's all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lee Griffiths came on uh, and Greg Taylor came on, but they didn't start the game. Rangers had not one eligible Scotland player starting the game because McGregor, the goalie, has said he doesn't want to play anymore. He's concentrating on club football. Ryan Jack uh, was on the bench and not one other player for Rangers. I mean, you're saying to me, why have Scotland not qualified? Because the best teams in Scotland don't have Scottish players. And and that's that's a start. And and the good Scottish players in England, when I was the manager, were playing with the top teams. They were playing at Manchester United with three, Leighton, uh, McLear and uh, Strachan. You go to Liverpool and they had Stevie Nicol and, and Gillespie and, you know, before that they had Sunas uh, Kenny Dugley. And now you go down to England and you're not looking at, apart from uh, Robertson at uh, Liverpool, you're not looking at the top teams and Tierney at uh, Arsenal, who's yeah. uh, unfit, or well, has been, so the problem is now that the, the quality of Scottish player available for the manager is not as good as it was in my time. I mean, I could I could go down to England and get players from the top teams. And now, and I had three players in the Scottish team from the champion team of England. There's a quiz question for you, John. <laughs> now, the, I'll give you the clue. The champion team of England at that time was Blackburn Rovers. Yeah. We had three of them. We'd Colin Henry, Billy McKinley. And Kevin Gallagher, now Billy, wasn't a regular in the team. And that tells you he's, he's a champion of England and the championship winning team. And he wasn't in the Scottish team because we had, in midfield, we had McAllister and we had Collins and we had Stuart McCall. So I'm going on and on here, but the message I'm trying to convey is that it's not, I wouldn't blame all the managers. I would just say that what's happening at club level is not, any good now, especially in Scotland. Celtic and Rangers are full of foreign players. And even when Celtic played the Aberdeen recently, I counted, um, well, Brown was playing, I counted only four eligible for Scotland in that game. And of course, they brought Griffiths on and he scored, but only four eligible for Scotland. And Aberdeen uh, are only five eligible for Scotland. (laughs) So I'm I'm sorry, I'm giving a long-winded answer to you here. I'm not using this long-winded, but I can tell you that that's my explanation why we haven't been too successful. 
too many foreign players, cheap foreign players. So you don't mind bringing in Henrik Larsson and loads up. But there are players that are filling places in, in, in big clubs and they're not any better than if they let a young Scottish boy come through. Yeah, definitely. And in that time, we've obviously mentioned the national team haven't qualified for 22 years, but it's also 24 years since the under-21s last qualified. Now, they're in a decent position just now with Scott Gemmel. But how how crucial is it that you have a, a successful under-21 team to then feed into the national team? Yeah, well, well, I, I had the under-21 team as well. And, you know, mm-hmm. we were in the semi-final of, of, of Europe. We were under-20. In fact, we were in the final of the World Cup. The finals, rather, of the World Championship under-20 in Chile. We took the team and we were in the quarter-final there. And it was won, I remember, by Yugoslavia. That was way back, 1989, was it I think. Was it nine, I think. No, 1989 in, in Chile. Oh, 1987 right. uh, was the World Championship. No, that was in Chile. 1989 was uh, when we had the under-16 team in the yeah. World Final. Mm-hmm. But not a lot of these guys came through, unfortunately. You know, one or two got caps. The see we Paul Dickoff uh, and Sky now, and Paul was a good player for the under-16 team, and Brian O'Neill was another one who did well. But not all that many came through into the national team. Uh, you're asking me about the under-21 team at the moment. Uh, it's good, because more of them are getting a game, but but there's not an under-21 playing team player in the Celtic first team now or in the Rangers first team. Now, when I had the under-21 team of Scotland, we had guys who were playing first-team football in the top teams in Scotland. And I would go down to England and I'd phone Sir Alec and say, any good under-21? <laughs> and he would tell me, you know, he would tell me his own son's better than the, the ball, of course. And I would joke with him about Darren. But, you know, it's an oversimplification to say that uh, the, under t- the best young players are not getting a game. But it's true. They're not getting... Because the clubs, the top clubs... Celtic Rangers are bringing in foreign players, and both clubs are full of foreign players. Just explained, you know, an old, an old firm game, very important. And you start, you start the game with uh, only one really eligible player, and it's McGregor of Celtic. And and we, I wouldn't count Welsh as a candidate for the for the Scottish team. You know, the, the, the young defender itself, a good player, but he's not. So it's quite alarming. Yeah, so hopefully that's something that will change uh, soon. But with the gas yeah, that are available now, um, last month Scotland were without Tierney, um, Christie and Armstrong through the COVID situation. Scott McKenna was then out with injury, Liam Palmer too. Um, but given the fact the team did well, and you know, I'll mention Andy Considine um, and Declan Gallagher as two unfashionable centre-halves, you may say, yeah. but they went in and did a job. Now, I'm not asking you to pick Steve Clark's team by any stretch of imagination, because um, that's not fair, but no. But that's a conundrum we have. Do McKenna and Tierney walk back in, or um, do they have to wait because De- Gallagher constantly play well? It's a really difficult conundrum for Clark and a nice problem to have. Well, it's good. But before I answer that, I'm going to say to you that the easiest team to pick is somebody else's. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. it's easy to pick somebody else's team, and and I would never, I'd never dream of saying to Steve Clark, "This is the team," because to be Perfectly honest, I'm not seeing these guys the way he is. You know, for example, Cooper down at, uh, at uh, Leeds. I've not seen him in the flesh. I've only seen him on TV. Now, it's, it's slightly different. And, and there are players like Palmer 
you know, now how can I give an opinion on him because I've not seen him? Uh, I can give an opinion on the Scottish, I see all the Scottish boys because I'm at every Aberdeen game and I see them in opposition to Aberdeen. But I've got to say that uh, it's impertinent of me to try and pick his team. You know, I've got my own, I would, I would have my own feelings about the team and I'm very, very biased. I would have uh, three Aberdeen players in the <laughs> team. I would have kept McKenna in as well. Now, my, incidentally, McKenna's doing well at, uh, at uh, Nottingham. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I, I just read a line, he'd scored a goal even the other night, but mm-hmm. he's doing well at Nottingham. He's only had a few games with, and he's an excellent manager, Chris Houghton. So I would be I would be playing Considine McKenna and I would look I would include Ryan Jack and I would bring in Kenny McLean. <laughs> I know they won't they won't all get in the game in the team and I wouldn't dream of thinking Selden Stevie's got to play Kenny McLean, Ryan Jack in midfield and McKenna and Considine at the back. And Ryan Fraser's got to play him as well, you know. So there's five with Aberdeen connection. Now I'm very biased in terms of uh, you know, you're not allowed to have favourites, but you favour the, the guys that you know and the guys that you're, you're friendly with and happy with. But no, I wouldn't think they'll all get in. I'm sure they won't. But I, I think Ryan Fraser's worth a shout. You know, although he's mm-hmm. not been starting every game with, uh, with Newcastle. But uh, Considine did well, Andy Considine. And I, I think McKenna's not done anything to be excluded. Uh, so you know, but again, as I, I, again, I wouldn't be uh, presumptuous and try and pick Steve Clark's team. I'd let him pick it, and I'll and I'll support it whatever he picks, because I respect him. I think he's an excellent manager, nice guy, and uh, although he looks a bit dour at times, he's got a good sense of humour. I can yeah. tell you his sense of humour. Uh, I'm I'm extending your podcast a bit too much, but Perfect. when you get the score. When you get the Scotland job, you know, I lived in the air for years and I had a wee soft spot for Air United because I lived in the air. And Steve knew that because he's a commandment man. And I've got to take you back about two, three years ago when the Scottish Cup air played Ockham Lake Talbot and Ockham Lake beat the air in the Cup. Yeah. So I said to Stevie, quite joking when he got the Scotland job, I said, Stevie, what was it like being manager of the second best team in Ayrshire? <laughs> commandment, he says, the third best. Did Ockham Lake Talbot not beat your mob? And I thought that was very good. <laughs> and, and I thought that that, that was really quick. He, said, he was manager of the third best. But uh, no, so Stevie's got a good sense of humour. And I'll tell you what, what I feel about him. He's a football guy. You know, he's steeped in football. His family's the same. His brother Paul, and good player Paul at centre half for, uh, for Kilmarnock in the past as well. So I, I've got great faith in what Steve Clark is doing and is going to do with Scotland and I would not for one minute pick his team for him. You know, I, I, was, in, I was interviewed by a, a freelance journalist or, or a couple of weeks ago and I, I just, it was a 15 minute interview and for 30 seconds he says, hey, what do you think about up front, what do you think about Lee Griffiths? And I said, well, I think Griffiths has got to make himself indispensable to Scotland. He's got to play so well for Celtic because I think what a striker he is. And I said, oh, of course, all the headlines were Griffiths. Brown says Griffiths. And I'm saying, I didn't say he's got to pick Griffiths. I said that Griffiths has got to make him unpickable, indispensable by doing so well for Celtic. Now, I'm pleased to see he's in the squad. I, I watched his goal on, on television against uh, Aberdeen. 
which is perfect. That's Griffiths. And obviously, the big boy Dykes, I saw he was substituted last night, you know, and again, I didn't see the whole game, but uh, so that his manager couldn't have been totally happy with him like, uh, against Derby County last night, but he, he, was, re- he was replaced. Uh, but I thought he did very well for Scotland when he's played. So it'll be a very difficult decision to pick the Scottish team for Steve. And, and you know, if you're thinking up front, uh, you know, particularly, do you consider Griffiths or do you? Now, it might, tonight might be a help. This is this is the Thursday Celtic are playing in Europe tonight. If he gets a game or if he comes on and he does well, uh, that might help to make Stevie's mind up. Yeah, I think Clark, when he said in the press conference earlier this week, as, as we speak, um, Griffiths was likely going to be in the bench. Now, I think I think that's the right thing. He's not started many games. I think he started against Milan, but other times it's just been impact. And I think that's the right thing just now. One, because he start, um, he's still working his way back, and he's a good impact player. But two, I don't think Lyndon Dykes has done anything to deserve getting dropped. Four, four no. games, he's scored two goals, set up the goal for yeah. Ryan Fraser. That looks a promising partnership as uh, well. So yeah. I, I think that's just my personal opinion. I think that's different too. Well, I mean, we, we're, we're so strong in many areas. You know, the striking position is getting stronger when you've got Shanklin who can come in and score a goal and so can mm-hmm. uh, Big Dykes and certainly Griffiths can come in. And uh, he's, he's got the one that needs to pull his socks up. He shows a bit more promise the last couple of games, I must say. He's, has a lot, he he's has. been much maligned. And I, I like to see players prove, prove me wrong. And he's no, he showed signs oh, that well. he can do something. Yeah, definitely. Um, transfer fee down there in England. You know. Yeah, they're all big transfer money. fees. They're all big transfer yeah. fees, Craig. Maybe you and your day would have went for thirty million, and <laughs> your day. Yeah, no chance. But, <laughs> but you know, when, when you look at the when you look at the money, it's England is a wash with money, as you know. Uh, 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 in terms of salaries and things like that, you know, and this is what we've got to worry about. You know, there are some of these these boys were playing against the Serbians. I'm not talking about them at the moment, but some not, uh, the last game Serbia had against Norway, seven of them played in Serie A, you know, and then, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't play in Serie A at the top level unless you're a top player. Yeah. And of course, you've got guys like, uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, Milinkovic, you know, there's two of them, mm. the same name, but they're, they're big money earners and big players and you know, I think we've got a hard shift against Serbia, but we'll come to that, I take it. Yeah, we might as well come on to it now as we're speaking. Serbia, uh, they've had a bit of a mixed bag um, in, their, in their five games since we've um, come back from the COVID stuff. They've lost to Russia. Um, they've had two draws with Turkey, 0-0 at home and 2-2 away. They lost one at home in Hungary. Um, but crucially... They won the game that mattered. They won against Norway, which a lot of people thought because of the Haaland impact and the way Norway um, destroyed yeah. Northern Ireland as well. Uh, we thought Norway was going to be so. It just shows they're not going to be any mugs either. Oh, no, no. The, the, the boy, Labisa uh, Tombakovic, uh, the, the coach, is a very, very shrewd operator, I'm told. You know, I, I don't know him personally, obviously, but uh, he's won six championships with Partizan Belgrade down there. He's won three cups. Now, he's an older guy. Well, everybody's young compared to me, but he's an older guy. He's 68 and very experienced manager. And he gets the best. They, they say that. He's only been 18 months in the manager's job because he's, he's worked elsewhere, but 
at the time when he was the manager of uh, Partizan, he's been twice the manager of Partizan, and he's been hugely successful. Now, uh, they've got great uh, faith in him in, in Serbia. And, uh, you know, you were talking about young players there, there in Scotland in under 21s. Serbia, uh, I think 2015, it's five years ago, won the World Under 20 Championship. And they beat Brazil in the final. Now, I've looked at their team and I don't think many of them are ready yet for the national team. But it tells you that football in Serbia is at a very high level. You know, and that's domestic football. But there's not one in a team plays domestically. I looked at their team in the last game and there wasn't a Red Star player, to my knowledge, or a Partizan player. Now, they're the two. They're the Celtic Rangers of, of uh, Belgrade, of Serbia. They're all abroad and... You know, and I think they've got to, you know the, the the boys Sergi they call him, but he's a, a Linkovic, and and he plays in the he scored the two goals. He plays for Lazio. He scored the two goals against uh, Norway. Now he's a super player, worth about twenty million they say, and that's modest uh, amount of money for him. You know, the other they've got a back they've got a back three in Kolarov, who we all know from Man City, Inter Milan. Hundred and no, no, not quite. I think ninety-five caps, you know, and and they've got a back. They play a back three, but they, they their system. They've got four in front of that, and then they play two one. You know, the, 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 that's the way they played the last game anyway. Because I was looking at it out of interest. I'm fascinated by systems and and tactics, and you know, I was looking at Serbia. Uh, there's a big guy owns a cafe in the air. And I'm friendly with him. And he's a Serbian. And his wife's Scottish, of course. So he's got a Serbian flag in his cafe. And he's got a Scottish flag. So I said to him, what about your Serbian team? Ah, we have far better players in Scotland. We have far better players in Scotland. And he came away with a cracking line. He says, we could even beat, we could even beat Scotland at caber tossing. <laughs> I says, it's football we're playing. Nico, Nico. Pavlovich is his name, Nico Pavlovich, and he's, he's a lovely big guy, and he was a youth player with Red Star Belgrade, and he says, you know, and he, he raves about some of the players, you know, and the one that, uh, 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 is it Werder, Werder Bremen, Velkovich, I don't know if he now, they were saying that Werder Bremen were going to withdraw him, because they're not happy about their players leaving to go on internationals, the risk of catching the virus, and the risk of injury. But I was saying to my big pal, the big Serbian guy, that the first claim on a player is from the National Association. They can't withdraw a player without the, the National Association imposing the rule that he can't, they'll not play for the club side in the next game. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see if other Werder Bremen let him go, but Velkovic apparently seems to be, uh, according to my authority, uh, absolutely outstanding, and of course the Fulham striker, uh, he too is uh, outstanding. Uh, and I think we've got to say that, you know, we've got a, a very stiff game in their hands here against uh, Serbia. It won't yeah. be easy. No, I definitely won't. And um, unlike what Scotland had last month, um, they're able to have thirty percent fans. And I know it's it's different. It'll be like what Aberdeen Kilmarnock was like, where um, they don't chant etc they just have to you know um, so it's not going to be the same intimidating atmosphere as it might have been but they've still got that little bit of a crowd behind them which 
it's it's good um, that some fans are being allowed back in, but um, it's certainly not as daunting as it might might have um, been before. Um, wh- where are the weaknesses? Where can Scotland get at? I, I honestly don't see that. If it, I, I looked at the back three they've got there, and you know the back three: Milinkovic, Mitrovic, and Kolarov. Now there's 136 caps in that back three. You know that's vast experience at international level. And of course, they're all playing. They're at uh, uh, Fiorentina, Salzburg, the other one, and of course, uh, Kolarov, we know where he, he's at Inter Milan. But, you know, now the experience of that back three, I think, from what I hear from my big pal, I don't want to put him in the soup by disclosing what he told me, he says, I'm worried about our goalkeeper. Now, the, the, the goalkeeper uh, concerns him, and I don't know, I've not seen the goalie, you know, but he says he's a big, tall fella, six foot. Todd Dimitrovic and he's six foot four. He's huge. But uh, my colleague tells me, my Serbian authority tells me that uh, anything low down, <laughs> he goes down like a roll of linoleum down. But, <laughs> you know, now that's unfair. But, you know, I'm, I, I'm, he's, he's got a good sense of humour, the guy, but he says, well, I worry about it. Everyone else is very good. We are a very good team. We will we are better players in Scotland, but uh, I, I, I worry about the goalkeeper. So, you know, if the goalie isn't good and you've got Griffiths about available and if you need him, he'll take a few pot shots. Whenever he gets it within the penalty box area, he shoots and he shoots forcefully. So we want to start testing the keeper. And even though he's tall, you know, put the, put the corners in and get big dykes to lean on him and see. <laughs> no, that's... Uh, but I don't know that they've got a weakness, but uh, I would suspect that from what I hear, then maybe the goalkeeper. But uh, we need to get shots to find that out. Yeah. And uh, the back three, very good, hugely experienced, and of course uh, uh, up the front, uh, uh, I think if he, if he gets support, uh, Mitrovic could be a real problem to us uh, as the striker. But. We keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, that's that's what we always do. So is the hope. Um, you know, right. Steve Clark has built. Um, is, is starting to build a good um, team unit. And uh, you know how vital is that going to be um, next week? Well, I think so. I think the, the team harmony is good. And you know when there's no crowd, you know even a, a crowd uh, operating against you, you know an intimidating crowd spurs your players on. You know. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, obviously, everywhere we were used to go in Europe, we were the underdogs, <laughs> except, you know, they thought, well, you go to San Marino or places like that, Gibraltar. But, you know, most in most cases, you go into Europe with Scotland and the Scottish team invariably was the underdog team. But but that, the feeling of persecution inspires you, gets you, gets you going, you know, you're, uh, you're the underdog. But... When there's no crowd, you're still the underdog in Europe, I think, anyway. I would say, I would think in Serbia, they'll be thinking. And we've got to get be together as a unit. And, and it should be easier for us when there isn't a crowd. But when you go to some of these European countries, it's an intimidating atmosphere. You know, the bigger ones, you go to Italy, try playing in the Olympic Stadium in Rome, as we had to do. And they were to beat us to get to the America World, World Cup in America. And there's, the place is 70-odd thousand. There's 
firecrackers going off. Well, Scotland are not playing in that environment uh, when they go to uh, Belgrade. But I do believe that the, the stadium, were it full, would be intimidating. It's a partisan stadium they're playing on. And uh, it's quite a, uh, a frightening experience there. Especially, you know, they, when they're playing Red Star there, it's, it's war. It's Celtic Rangers are, you know, just a nice picnic compared with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they tell me, but uh, I think, yeah, in answer to your question, John, long-winded answer is I think the no crowd will benefit us. And, and the team spirit we've got with the no crowd will be of great help. You know, if we're going out there and no atmosphere, no crowd, and the players aren't as a, a good unit, as one, as the Scotland supporters and the jerseys playing for the country and for each other, uh, they're doing that. And if they weren't doing that, we would have no chance. But I'm convinced that with no crowd and the team being a unit, being together, and Stevie's got this team spirit ingrained in them, and they don't hear one word coming out saying, uh, you know, I'm no huff, I'm in a huff, I'm not. The last thing you want is a sulking substitute or two. You know, I used to say that. To if I look at the bench, then you guys are sitting there with your faces tripping because you're not picked. You'll not be in the bench even the next time. You'll not be with us. And they knew that. So, but I'm lucky you didn't have to persuade the Scottish players to be Scotland supporters. And uh, I'm sure it's even better now. And even the Anglo boys, you know, you would think he's an Anglo, but some of them are, are more fiercely patriotic than the Scottish ones. They come up, you know, you could never accuse a guy like Stuart McCall, for example. And, you know, and Andy Gorham came up from Oldham and, you know, and, and he was very, very determined to be Scottish, you know. And there quite a number of guys come up with English accents. And you're saying, well, what? But they quickly learned the national anthem when they were told to sing it. <laughs> and and there was a unit, and, and uh, a unity rather, and I'm delighted that there's a great unity now under Stevie. Definitely. If you listen to Stuart McCall's story about how he avoided getting on the England under-21s um, pitch, to, to, that shows, shows you his dedication of being um, getting in the Scotland squad. Um, right, so cards on the table. Um, what's your prediction going into the game next week? Well, I think it could. I think it could go to the wire. You know, it could go to a decider, a, a penalty. You know, I, I genuinely think uh, we'll do well to compete and and uh, to stay with them. I think. Yeah. But you know, the more I look at our team and when I look at that midfield, uh, when I see Christie's goal at the weekend, and I'm saying, if it just repeats that, and I think of McGinn and you know, and and, and the way. The, the way he's playing and McGregor, fantastic Jack. I think we're um, and the games usually are won or lost in midfield. I think a lot of them, yeah. and I think our midfield is superb. Uh, and therefore, you know, I, I would love to think we would win the game. And I don't think it's it's out with the bounds of uh, possibility. But I think it could go to the wire, and it could we could end up taking penalty kicks in this game uh, and if Kenny McLean is needed he'll do the same as he did the last time and yeah. that would be it would be great to have five Aberdeen players or ex-Aberdeen <laughs> <laughs> but no you're giving me a hard question to ask mm-hmm. what this result is going to be because I watched Serbia in the World Cup they were good 
by, I would say, very good. So I think it will be a, a very good achievement to beat them away yeah. from home. Uh, and, but I'm sure we've got the manager and the squad that's capable of doing that. And uh, I wish them all the best. I'm desperate to get my scarf on and go to a finals and see Scotland. Yeah, you, <laughs> and especially you, when it's here, it's here, you know, the plan. Although they're talking about moving it to Russia, but, but uh, you know, I think some of the games are going to be played in Scotland in this next competition. So that, it's like Ernie Walker told me uh, in 1996, the European Championship in England, we've got to be there. If we're not there, you're sacked. You know, so <laughs> he made it quite clear to me. Uh, and Ernie wouldn't mess about. So uh, I wouldn't for a minute suggest that Stevie Clark gets sacked if we're not there. No. But uh, that would be horrendous. But I do think it's just about as important that we're there when some of the games are getting played uh, in Scotland. Yeah, definitely. And there's the character of the game at Wembley as well, because we get England yes, again. Um, and I think it's Croatia and Czech Republic at home, technically. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I would take another 0-0 penalties right now if it was offered. Because, well, we've proven in one game that we're, we've got 100% record. Um, so no, I would take that. Um, I think, become, well, I would, I, I'm, I'm not a pessimist, you know, I'm, not, I'm a, superb, a supreme optimist, uh, John. Mm-hmm. But I would take a draw and, and take a chance on penalties. I, I think I would, and I hope uh, Steve, if he's listening to this, wouldn't say, oh, he's not thinking we're going to win the game. I'm hoping and praying, but I'm, I'm trying to be yeah. analytical and logical. And, you know, when I, I looked at the last team now against Norway. <laughs> Norway are a good side, and they beat Norway in Norway. And, uh, you know, I looked at the, the clubs they play for, and that often tells you, I think, the calibre of the player. And some, of them, some of them were in the Italian, the Serie A. And, and then you've got, uh, there was no one playing in Serbia, either Red Star or, or Partizan, as I saw. You've got Werder Bremen, you've got uh, England, of course, uh, Fulham, mm-hmm. the Fulham in the Premier League. So it's a hard, it's a good level he's playing at, uh, Mitrovic. So <laughs> we've got, uh, I'm trying to think where else, where else they were playing on. Strasbourg guy, uh, the, the centre half. He's he's there. The other Mitrovic, um, but that's just about the whole team. They're all. Uh, I think the goalkeeper. Where does he play? He's, he's the one I don't know, and he's the one that I'm told might be, could be the weakness. But uh, we've got to say that to beat to beat uh, Serbia would be terrific they would deserve the accolades that they'll get from winning that game yeah. and they see me saying they'll be all be legends and things like that well they would deserve they're on a hundred thousand did you hear that a hundred thousand euros to qualify for each player yeah I can believe that yeah. well our players might be in 20 quid to qualify knowing the SFA <laughs> <laughs> If you're lucky, yeah. has that them giving you a rise? <laughs> and, no, no, the SFA, the SFA, are, the SFA are very fair. Joke. Yeah, very yeah. fair, with, with, and and with bonuses too. You know they are fair. Mm-hmm. And if Scotland get to the finals, there will be a huge increase in the uh, interest in football in Scotland. Mm-hmm. The kids will be wearing the Scotland jerseys again. Yeah, and they'll be wanting to play football. 
and everybody will be watching on the television and the sponsors will be delighted because the sponsorship will get great mileage. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's got a terrific spin-off in the nation in, in Scotland. And, and, you know, when we were in tournaments, everybody would be wishing you all the best and they'd be walking in a Scotland jersey. You know, and, you, and they would be selling their hot cakes. You know, all the sports shops were loving it. And the, <laughs> now, it'll be the same again, I'm sure, if we get to the next one. And when we get, I should say, not if, when. Yeah. And, and, and hopefully it'll be this coming one shortly. Yeah, let's hope so. We've got everything crossed. That um, it all happens next week because it's been 22 years too long. And uh, you must be desperate to pass on the baton to someone else after that period of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Steve Clark would be a um, would be a welcome recipient. Smashing guy. He's a smashing. He's a smashing guy, and uh, you know he's a, he's annoyed. I think we made and eight more caps, but you know we had a very we had a very good defence. You know. Uh, I think he didn't say to me personally, but he joked, you know. But yeah. in the paper, I think he said, I, I think maybe, you know. But I, and he played for Andy and the, the, the team that won the European Championship, the youth team. Mm. And he played in Mexico City and scored, I think, in Mexico when Andy wrote 100,000 in that game mm-hmm. in the, the World Youth Championship in Mexico. So Stevie's got great experience and he's a smashing player. He played. Several times when I was the manager, and but we had a defence that in qualifying for the European Championship, we had to, to qualify for uh, Euro '96 with ten qualification games, and we lost three goals. Then to qualify for the World Cup in 1998 with ten qualifying games, we lost three goals. Mm-hmm. So I think I don't think Steve could complain about the defence because the defence was marvellous, and it was a back three actually. But when I think about it, he would have been a wonderful wide left player in the middle five. You know, I think they call them wing backs. I just say a wide, wide midfield player. Uh, he would have been good at that. He, he was good at that. But you know, we had very good provision there as well. So uh, he, he he's got every right to complain a bit, but uh, not to moan totally because we had he was a defender and we didn't lose goals. So that's the answer. We had two marvellous goalkeepers. I keep saying to people, Jim Layton, and I think I've said to you before, I keep repeating this, I can't believe 91 caps and 42 clean sheets. That's incredible. Yes. Anyway, with that, I better shut up because I could just go on raving about some of these guys that played. You know, Calderwood, Henry and Boyd, a back three, they had it to perfection. You know, they were unbeatable. They had everything that you wanted in a back three. Calderwood could man-mark and, and get tackles in brilliantly. Henry won everything in the air, and Boyd was the fastest defender around, and he was never acknowledged as that. He put him against the fastest striker or forward, and no one outpaced Tommy Boyd, and uh, great defensively as well. So we had a back three that could have gone anywhere. Anyway, yeah. I'm, uh, well, let's hope that this back three, um, whatever it is, whether it's McTominay Gallagher and Constein or if Tierney's in or McKenna's in, that we're h- holding them in the same regard next year if we qualify for the East Euros and do well. So um, that would be well, I think, um, super. You know, yeah, I think you're right, John, but I think you know, Stevie's not committed to the, the, the three at the back. He'll, he'll go to four if he wants to. Uh, you know, and there's a, there's a case you know, to try and get both. Uh, I don't know how fit Tierney is. 
down there at Arsenal. But, you know, to get both Robertson and Tierney in the team, you know, we've played uh, Tierney as left centre-back and Robertson at left-back in a four, I think, in the past. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very biased and I shouldn't be. If you're picking a team, you can't afford to have favourites. But I would, be, I would be playing Considine and McKenna along with Hugh Gallagher or I don't know who the other, but the, the right centre-back would be uh, probably the mother of lad or, or McTominay oh, played there the last game. You know, uh, I just think he's more a midfield player, but I, yeah. I don't see enough of... So therefore, you know, when, you, when I'm asked to pick a Scottish team, it's totally unfair because I'm not down watching them. You know, yeah. again, I've only seen McTominay play for Scotland. I've never seen him playing for Manchester United in the flesh, just yeah. on television. I think you've got to see them in the flesh to have a good look at them, you know. And, you know, the previous manager, I don't know if it was Alec or, or, or Ray Gordon, they like Kearney in midfield at Fulham, who's a very good midfield player. Kearney, but Kearney hasn't featured recently because we're so strong in midfield with McGregor and with uh, Jack and with... Uh, who's on again? Again. Mm-hmm. Fantastic midfield we've got. Yeah. I'm getting more excited about the game now as I'm talking to you because I'm just I'm, I'm thinking that the good players we've got and Fraser put we Ryan Fraser in a wide position and let him run at them. You yeah. saw the goal they laid on for Dykes or Dykes laid on for him. Yeah. Uh, uh, the last game. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember which one scored it was. It was Fraser laid it through from. Uh, no, Fraser finished it. Uh, yeah, Fraser finished that one, and I think he's up. Yeah, he suffered on yeah. a cross for Dykes yeah. for the other one. Correct. In, uh, exactly. Slovakia. So, so Ryan Fraser, Ryan Fraser's got so much going from that uh, it's be hard not to consider him seriously, mm-hmm. you know. And and I think Christie's a marvellous yeah. player. I'm going to I'm going to put the cat among the pigeons here and say this. Uh, maybe I should say it privately that <laughs> we had at Aberdeen uh, up there. We had uh, on loan Christie. Yeah. And Madison on loan. And Madison went for 20 million, didn't he, to, mm-hmm. uh, in England. And if you were asking me, the better player was Christie. And now, that's a, that's a value judgment. I mean, watching them play for Aberdeen, when they played at Aberdeen, Christie's contribution to Aberdeen, in my opinion, Madison scored a wonderful goal against Rangers, mm-hmm. uh, free kick. But all in all, Christie, I thought, contributed better. That's my personal opinion, not the opinion of the football club uh, at Aberdeen. But so, if you've got a guy like Christie, who's who's uh, Madison's in the England squad, uh, Christie's in the Scotland squad. Well, if you ask me to take one or other, I would take Christie. Mm-hmm. You know, just and, and he was far better off the ball, without the ball, than Madison. And every bit as good, if not better, on the ball. So. <laughs> maybe maybe Christy one day will um, get get a move down south. I can actually see that happening. Then um, the way he's progressing, he's he's coming a tremendous player, and we, he might well, not maybe, even start yeah. next week for Scotland because we did well last month. But we'll wait and see. That's Steve Clark's yeah. problem. That's not ours. Yeah. So, so Clark, a great problem. He's got a terrific mm-hmm. problem. You know, and Armstrong will never let you down either. He, he and he was the one mm-hmm. he couldn't he, he self isolate as well. So yeah. anyway, you'd gather I could talk all day about. Uh, <laughs> Scotland and about <laughs> games and players, but I'm sorry, I'm 
keeping you too long, John. No, it's been it's, a pleasure to talk to you. It's been, it's been a pleasure for me, Craig. Trust me, it's, um, and I'm sure our listeners will um, enjoy listening to this back. Um, okay. let's, so thanks very much for your time, Craig, and um, let's hope that um, this time next week we're celebrating a Scotland victory. I hope so, thank you. I hope I've yeah. not bored the troops. Like <laughs> <to> that, <man. laughs> not Thanks at all. Very much, John. That is your time. Cheers. Yeah.